Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Working with the Rural Support Trust, each week I talk with farmers, industry professionals and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters that are relevant to both our farming and our urban communities. This week I'm talking with Grant Bunting, the General Manager of Systems and Supply at Ansco Foods, to discuss the New Zealand Beef Sustainability Proof of Concept project. This project brought together representatives from across the value chain with an interest in demonstrating how principles of sustainable beef production could be applied on farm and through processing to provide increased transparency and evidence of continuous improvement to the consumer. Let's check in with Grant now. Hello Grant, thank you for your time today. No, good. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? Okay, so with a view to the Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, um, I'm the current chair, and um, the Roundtable was formed uh, almost uh, oh, sort of 18 months, nearly two years ago now. Uh, with that in mind, our, our AGM and, and conferences are scheduled for March. Um, but it was set up as a, as a New Zealand chapter of what is called the Global Roundtable, and, and it exists really to promote um, you know, the sustainable practices and, and the value of, of beef as a product globally. And, and it does so by giving consideration to regional roundtables. And look, they're pretty much in existence in all large beef producing countries now. Um, so there's our neighbours in Australia have got a, a forum similar to ours. And um, yeah, through um, South America into the US, as you'd expect in Canada, right up into Europe. Um, so that forum meets meets monthly in different ways, um, but all designed to promote um, the beef industry. And of course, you've been part of the New Zealand Beef Sustainability Proof of Concept project. What was the purpose of this project? Yeah, so in essence, what we wanted to be able to do was validate a truly sustainable claim. So, uh, you know, this wasn't just about saying that elements of of the process were um, were sustainable. It was actually saying, right, at the point we've identified a uh, the, the cattle beast on farm, you know, what are the steps we need to go through to demonstrate that at the point that it's, um, you know, a viable product for consumption that we've, you know, we've given due consideration. So it involved us um, aligning on-farm practice with the uh, New Zealand Farm Assurance Program. They have a, a draft standard. It, it's it's soon to be uh, formalised, um, but it, it, by abbreviation, is NZFAP+. Plus. Uh, and that set the guidelines by which farmer producers were, were measured. And at the same time, we took a sustainable processing standard uh, and we sought to apply that across the three participating processes um, with a view to ensuring that whilst they all you know, managed and operated as you would expect um, by way of their individual um, operations, they also could be measured in a way that said, look, the practices that they were following were were consistently measured and validated by an independent party. So in this case, by the time you ended up with the meat patty, um, we could say hand on heart right through that entire process, um, we'd been independently audited and validated with a view to meeting those standards. Mm, that's really interesting. The project brought together six farms. How were these farms selected for participation? Uh, in essence, it... it it actually started with the three. So this was um, the whole program was done with conjunction with McDonald's. So 
um, the, the three processing companies that, in essence, are, uh, are supply raw materials into the McDonald's supply chain uh, were engaged in the first instance. And from there, uh, we just looked to, um, you know, nominate or identify producers within our within our own supply chains that um, we knew that wouldn't be necessarily put off, you know, not sort of daunting challenge really at this, when we started this couple of years ago, mm. um, you know, sustainability and regenerative practices seem to be the norm now, certainly discussion anyway. Back when we started, you know, it was more a matter of finding, you know, somebody that was willing uh, to participate uh, with a view to a process that, you know, in a lot of ways was going to uncover and unearth uh, a, a growing list of um, considerations <laughs> in a world where we'd all argue we're probably a wee bit, um, you know, we're a wee bit over compliance in some instances. So mm. it wasn't necessarily easy, but that's how we went about doing it. Yeah. What does sustainability look like for the farmers involved in the project? Is increased biodiversity and water quality sort of central or part of this, for example? Yeah, look, absolutely. So the NZFAP Plus program is, is built off the base NZFAP program, which is, um, I, I think I can say you now, I'm pretty much sure all New Zealand exporter processes are involved in a number of the uh, domestic uh, ones as well. So the farm assurance program at its base form gives credence to, uh, you know, standard parameters one would expect around animal welfare and land use. Um, where FAP Plus differed was it overlaid biodiversity and it overlaid attributes of community uh, and a broader sense of well-being, for example. Um, and, and it did bring a level of intensity to some of those existing uh, parameters uh, with a view to maybe you could liken it to maybe going that one step more um, on the basis that that practice was going to be consistent with expectation from the consumer. Mm. And why did these farmers join the project? Was it to be part of the solution as a farmer-led environment? Yeah, I think so. Look, you know, I've been in the industry a long time and, and actually one of the reasons I enjoy it is, you know, despite some of the conjecture that exists, um, as a rule, you know, farmers are tremendously proud of their assets, right, and what they do. I think the challenge is we probably haven't done a great job of telling that story. So it's not hard to get farmers to join these sort of initiatives, right? Mm. Um, and um, it doesn't always suit, and we understand that there might be competing priorities. But, you know, in this case, you know, we ran out and canvassed, um, you know, farm producers that perhaps we felt were better placed uh, in terms of their operations, maybe a little bit more evolved. And, um, you know, all of those that we engaged with were, you know, were pretty comfortable and said, look, yep, we'll give it a go. Um, you know, I think they're, maybe they're worldly enough to understand that a lot of the things we were talking about two years ago, you know, might not be quite imminent now, but within the next three to five years, mm. arguably could well become standard. Mm. Um, but no, they engaged on the basis that it was going to be just as much of a learning exercise for them and they were quite happy with that challenge. Yeah. From a processor perspective, what is happening in the space in regard to improvements that ultimately lead to better environmental outcomes? Look, regulation is moving faster than market. That would be the that would be the perhaps the the more critical observation. 
So um, there's no doubt that um, from a end user perspective, the demands are uh, are inherently more uh, significant, right? But in terms of pace of change, the regulatory compliance almost seemed to New Zealand almost domestically with a view to you know, national environment standards. And look, you know, this is not a, I don't see this as being a topic for, for, for politics politics in any way, but it's just a fact, right? Mm. So, um, and, and I'm not saying I dispute it, but a lot of the drivers at the moment around environmental are around compliance and adherence to policy. Mm. Um, and where that becomes difficult from a processing perspective, of course, is the gains and benefits or costs associated with that aren't necessarily reflected in the market yet. Yep. Um, I have no doubt they will be. Mm. Um, but, you know, to bring to bring some context to it, a lot of the topics in that we're dealing with, uh, you know, the motivation isn't necessarily going to result in an increased return for the product, uh, not at this stage. Um, but, you know, we all understand that. And all we're seeking to do here is start to prepare for that and if we can do so in conjunction with what might be a regulatory requirement without necessarily being seen to add to that then um, it just helps to tell that story that we probably haven't told so well in the past. So that will fit in nicely down the track hopefully quite soon in terms of a international marketing story that obviously we want to raise the value of the products we produce. Absolutely. People often raise animal and people welfare in our meat processes. What advancements have been made in that area? Yeah, look, um, it, you're right. That, and that, that area has been topical in, um, for, for many years now. So those advancements are probably more stepped than um, anything because of the focus that's gone on. So uh, they're absolutely uppermost in a lot of the decisions and a lot of the activity that occurs um you know so so welfare is is preeminent in terms of uh all the processing plants um you know we're very clear on the obligations that exist not only once they arrive at the processing plants but in terms of you know the lead up to slaughter um but we're increasingly required to go back and just make sure that um those same checks and balances exist from whether it be transport from the farm or Behaviour on farm, okay. Mm. So, um, and I, I like I, I'd say again, this is well entrenched in mm. in terms of farming practice, right? Um, there are, as always, maybe a very small percentage that would give rise to claims that it isn't well entrenched. But I can tell you for a fact that um, you know uh, we we see very little can cause for concern now by way of practice, um, and we'll continue to monitor it. Um, you know, people welfare. You know, look. Let's face it. Um, that that probably uh, more more relevant in recent times. Um, and there's two aspects to that. It's um, it's very difficult to get people mm. uh, to work in the industry. So once you've got them, you want to be seen to look after them. Mm. And and looking after them now is probably just more than ensuring they have a job, right? Mm. Um, so you've got to give consideration consideration to. Yeah, the environment they're working in, uh, whether that be not only at work but um, in the community. Um, and this has been fleshed out as we look at these sustainable standards and we're having to look at, you know, what is the role of community? What is the role or the obligation of the parties by way of well-being? Mm. And it's just a general 
Uh, it's just a general focus on making sure that we're looking beyond what might have just been the simple um, process of slaughter. How well is meat being tracked currently and what is the process from paddock to plate? Obviously, this is going to be a huge part of our marketing story internationally moving forward. Yeah, so the, the, the proof of concept was exactly that. So in the case of those, um, you know, the animals involved in the trial and the farmers and the processing plants, then, you know, we gave consideration to the absolute ability to track those. Um, you know, the NATE, the NATE system um, makes it um, more, uh, somewhat more feasible in terms of the beef supply chain. Mm. Um, the challenge exists in scaling it. So, um, you know, Nate, Nate in itself offers a means to do so, but some of the records that might exist around transfer from uh, breeding farms to finishing farms may not always be um, at necessarily the level of detail that was required for an independent validation. Mm. Um, so there's got to be a wee bit more work go into what would this look like if you were suddenly doing this across 100 farms and maybe in those farms they weren't all breeder finishers. Mm. So can you track this through multiple uh, hands if the animals have moved from one or more two properties in advance? Uh, and can you ensure that then when they arrive at, at the processing facility, um, that record you know, is, is credible and, 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 and its integrity is maintained? And then, of course, once you start in the processing facility, you're actually deconstructing that carcass. So, you know, it's not so bad up until the point of the boning room. You can still equate the carcass to the animal that arrived. As soon as you start then disseminating that into various products and various cuts, it's, it is it is really a matter of what systems exist within the plant to ensure that you can, you know, put it all back together in the event someone asks the question. Mm. Is the end goal working towards an industry standard through farm environmental plans, for example? Um, yeah, I think yes and no. So the farm environment plans themselves are going to be a product of, of regulation. That would be my view. Mm. Um, that's already stipulated in many ways. Mm. And and they may vary relative to the particular region or geography in which, which you farm. And, and um, But what will be standard is that, um, and is already the case, so New Zealand, the New Zealand Farm Assurance uh, Plus standard, for example, will require evidence of a farm environment plan. Mm. So it's more a matter of, you know, horse and cart. Um, and we're very, very clear that in the case of a standard, ultimately we have to reflect market demand because, of, uh, you know, we want to see in time a benefit associated with this. And we don't necessarily want to be confused with the regulator. Mm. So... There'll be consistency by way of industry assurance standards, um, and they should rightfully so reflect and endorse what might be regulatory requirements such as a farm environment plan, but very much in that order. Mm. Many farmers will be finding this all a bit daunting. Um, so how can industry really get in behind and support these farmers through significant changes like this? All farmers I talk to, of course, want to improve environmental outcomes, but we need workable solutions with farmer buy-in, don't we? Oh, look, absolutely. You're spot on. And, and again, I'd reinforce that point. You know, my, my experience has been the vast majority of farmers are, are, are tremendous guardians um, and are, are well versed in what the environment uh, challenges are. 
So there's two elements to it. It's it's recognising those that might need the support in in recording and documenting that. Um, because a lot of this is the challenge now, whereby in the past, just doing it is no longer good enough. You've got to have a record demonstrating you've done it, and that record's got to be available so it can be consistently validated by an external party. So, you know, one of the challenges we find with industry is who's going to be best placed to provide that support um, with a view to the fact that there's an underlying cost. So, mm. you know, I think farm environment plans to some degrees, you know, I've heard maybe $10,000 price tag for those. Mm. Um, they're going to become a necessary requirement by way of your your right to farm. Um, you know, from that perspective, you know, what can we do to leverage the information you've collected the trouble you've gone to to document and record it in turn you may well have satisfied your you know your regulatory requirement but can we then leverage that to demonstrate that you are actually able to tell a story that may not be the case in in, in our other competing markets grant to that end what do you make of the recent climate change commission report oh specific to land and farming um you know I, i must admit um you know, the rhetoric with regards in, um, you know, natural gas and EVs and that's probably another topic. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it was reassuring to see that, um, you know, they didn't double down on forestation, for example. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's promising that we're seeing um, some sort of form of distinction between reducing emissions and offsetting emissions. Mm. Um you know, so, you know, there's still a, a lot of ground uh, for just how we go about some 600,000 hectares of, of, of forestry um, that, that'll, that'll obviously have ramifications associated with it. But I think it's promising that that's, that's the level we're looking at. And then it's a matter of, well, what do we do to seek to reduce uh, emissions on what might be the balance of, you know, New Zealand's pr- production base? Um, you know, in one hand, the 15% reduction in livestock numbers is the figure that's being thrown around. Whether it translates to that um, it remains to be seen. But I think this is be- going to become more about what we do and how we do it as, as opposed to, you know, um, well, why we're doing it and, and, and what it could mean. We're getting a little bit more clarity around what some of these components are. Um they may not always be things that we're necessarily happy with, but at least you can start to deal with things once you know what they are, uh, are likely to look like and we're not dealing with sort of the ifs, the buts and the maybes as we work through um, some of the more academic arguments. Grant, I thank you very much for your time today. No, good as gold, no problem. Thank you to Grant for his time today. Every stakeholder agrees that the environment is important and there is a genuine desire and willingness by farmers to continue making progress in this area. What is not progress is policy appearing out of the blue from the beehive in Wellington. We know that there is an increased appetite for sustainably produced food, and I think you would struggle to find any major food producing country in the world that comes close to us. The progress that we are discussing and the progress our farmers are making does ultimately increase cost of production. So the question is, who should be absorbing these costs? When you look around the traps, margins are tight enough at the farm gate and indeed at a processor and exporter level. 
Does the government need to pony up through their new buzzword, foundational change, to support farmers? There are, of course, pros and cons of government involvement, but what it will come down to in the end is New Zealand at some stage will need to ask more money for our products. So as a food-producing, export-driven economy and nation, we need to do better in telling our story. So our markets know we are the world leaders in sustainable, grass-fed, low-intensity food producers with improving environmental outcomes. Plenty more to come on this topic. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.